Hey there, and welcome to Truth Be Told, a theology and apologetics podcast not claiming to have all of the answers, but created to analytically look at the truth contained in the Bible and encourage critical thinking on how to apply that truth to our lives. I'm Micah Gunn, and I appreciate you listening in. No matter your level of understanding or knowledge, I sincerely hope and pray that you find these words edifying, informative, and beneficial. So let's get started. On face value, this seems like kind of a strange episode or just a strange topic for an episode. And admittedly, it's not something I had really planned on talking about, hadn't really felt compelled to talk about it, didn't really think it was an issue to discuss um, or anything that anybody was really confused about. So I didn't know what I could add to the conversation until about a couple of weeks ago. I saw this video on Facebook and it was presented by this animal rights activist and he was arguing with a Christian man in possibly a mall or a shopping center of some kind and they were arguing primarily on the topic of is it okay to eat meat and the animal rights activist was saying that it's not and that it's murder and the Christian was arguing that God allows it and so it's okay. And they both went back and forth for some time and didn't really seem to get anywhere. Nobody was convincing anybody of anything. But I I thought they both made some reasonable points until the conversation kind of started to devolve into this animal rights activist claiming that Christianity itself uh, and even Judaism were founded on ideals of mass murder of animals, going back to the Old Testament sacrifices that were done. And I started to realize that this guy is not just angry at people who eat meat, which he is, but he's also angry more specifically and even bitter towards Christians and Christianity, which he sees as ground zero for this argument. Uh, he, he sees Christians as totally anti-animal. He sees the God of Christianity as being anti-animal and commanding all of these sacrifices and devaluing the lives of animals. And I realized that I think this is something that I don't know if I could answer as well as I should. If I were to meet this guy, how could I prove to him that my God loves animals and that I love animals and that Christianity in general is in favor of loving animals and treating them right. How could I make him see this or what answer could I give to him? And to be clear, I wasn't looking for an answer that he would necessarily agree with. He doesn't have to agree or come to the same conclusion as I do, but I was realizing that he was arguing under false suppositions about Christianity. And if I were to talk with him, I'd want to provide an accurate view of what the Bible says about animals. Because for this guy, at least, these wrong understandings about Christianity and the Christian community at large are keeping him from looking deeper into it. He believes he understands a Christian's view or the Bible's view on animal kind based upon uh, his view of right and wrong, of course, with eating meat or not, but also based on historical facts that he does see from the Bible. But without looking deeper into it, Uh, He just sees this as negative, and he sees this as wrong and evil, and so he concludes, starting off with wrong premises, that Christianity itself is evil, or the God of Christianity itself must be evil. So if I were to meet this guy or anybody who viewed Christians like him, I would want to have an answer. So this this might not be an apologetic that helps you in your day-to-day life, 
but this is kind of how it started out for me, just watching this video and realizing I didn't have the answers that this guy was looking for, and I didn't have the answers that I felt I should have if I wanted to be equipped to answer this question. So I decided to study it, and I actually came up with some really interesting things in my study that I thought I'd share uh, today. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, might not be the most helpful, like I said, for your day-to-day -day conversations with people, but who knows when it might come up and hopefully you'll learn something anyways. So God and animals. Now we could ask so many questions about this subject and they're all interesting. I think just cool things to talk about. For example, uh, why did God make animals? What's, what's their purpose? Does he have some master plan for the animals or do they just die and then that's it? Or why did God create animals to feel pain? Isn't this evil? This is a question I've heard in serious debates with theologians and skeptics. So uh, even though the idea God and animals, okay, seems like a pretty minor topic, but it does come up in some big arenas and some big debates. So you never know when you might be presented with a conversation about this. Now, obviously we can't cover all of these questions and the time we have. Um, and I think it, it's really more of just a discussion to have. I, I think with this podcast being designed to help people think critically about the Bible and to encourage people to think critically about the Bible, maybe this is just a topic for you to think critically on and come to your own conclusions about. But at least I wanted to present the topic and maybe go through a few questions. So now if there's enough interest on this topic or some of these questions, maybe I will do some shorter episodes answering some of these or at least looking to what the Bible says and taking a stab at an answer because I, I don't have absolute definitive answers on all of these things. But like I said, if there's enough interest, maybe, maybe I'll revisit some of these things. But today I just kind of want to look at two uh, two questions or two things that these environmentalists or animal rights activists will look to and point to Christianity and say Christians are anti-animal. Now, we know that not all Christians are anti-animal, but we do have an elevated view of humanity. And we believe that mankind and not animals are the pinnacle of God's plan for creation. And environmentalists, animal rights activists, they'll look to that and say that we're objectifying them and they'll ask what right we have to elevate ourselves, to which hopefully the Christian would reply, absolutely none, and it comes from God. But we'll look into that a little bit. Where does our idea of our status in all of creation come from? And we're also going to look to the Old Testament sacrificial laws, because Judaism and Christianity trace their roots back to this. And people could say that our faith is founded on a disregard for animal life. Or even that we come out of a group of people who claim that their loving God ordered the mass murder and devaluation of animal life in order to appease him. So we're going to look at some of these objections and considerations today. And some of you might be thinking this sounds interesting. Or it might even be something you struggle to understand yourself to some extent. Or maybe you just don't have good answers to some of these objections, kind of like me, uh, that someone might bring to you. And some of you might be sitting there thinking, I honestly could not care less about this topic at all. Uh, to which I would reply, I think you should. Because if someone in the world legitimately takes issue with Christianity on this basis, which many do if you do the research, then we should be able to give an answer that allows them to at least be only taking issue with the truth rather than their perception of the truth. And what I mean by this is, for example, if someone takes issue with the fact that we eat animals and they're very angry with that fact, well, one, it's our duty to try and not alienate that person from God. 
or cause them to sin, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13, they might look to you and say, God commands you to destroy animal life just for your enjoyment. To which I'd reply, no, he does not command this, but he does allow for the killing of animals, for eating, and God's word is of far more value than what we've chosen to believe is right and wrong. Now, this person might still hate your choice to eat meat, but at least they're angry with the truth of the matter rather than this presupposition about what they think the Bible says. Now, some of you even still might be thinking, I don't really give much consideration to animals, so why does this matter? To which I would reply again, maybe you should. And I think this is where we're going to start our study with this objection to Christianity or consideration in our own minds, or maybe even accusation from some people would be a good word to use, that Christians unrightfully place themselves above animals, which devalues the lives of animals or the importance of animals. We're going to start here. And to start, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. I think this is probably where most people would go in this conversation. Um, If you know your Bible fairly well, this is a verse that might come to mind. In Genesis 1, 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So this is the basis for the ranking of humankind over animal kind in a Christian mind, and also plant kind. Um, And I'm sure, again, it's brought up in many arguments of this nature, but I think even though we're reading the same verse, there is this miscommunication or misunderstanding that tends to go on in conversations like this. An animal rights activist might look to this verse and say, see, exactly what I said. You are placing yourself above the animals. According to your religion, you are their overlords and can do whatever you want to them. You have dominion or you dominate. And I do want to take a minute to look at this word dominion. It's an old French word derived from Latin dominio, and it means lordship, sovereignty, uh, supreme authority, particularly in land ownership. And that's that's kind of the, the translated word. But even the Hebrew word rada means primarily to rule or to have dominion, but can in some cases mean to dominate or to tread down. So which translation are we going for? Dominate and tread down or rule and sovereignty? And most scholars and commentaries will look at this and they will choose the dominion, the sovereignty. They'll choose that translation. But if you're dealing with someone who's bitter towards your religion or your faith, they're not always going to look at that translation in good faith and give you the benefit of the doubt to say, oh, it's the good one and not the bad one. So we have to prove this. We have to, not only to others, but also to ourselves, that this should be the translation. Dominion or sovereignty, rulership, not treading down or dominating. And a proof that I'd like to use that dominion or sovereignty is the correct translation rather than treading down or dominating is that in a few verses, God is about to call his creation, his completed creation, very good. Now, why would he say tread down, destroy, treat poorly the thing that he creates and calls very good? I think the answer is that he absolutely wouldn't. And this is further emphasized in Genesis 2 verse 15, when it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it 
and keep it. So man's primary responsibility was maintenance and expansion to help things grow and live and to maintain and care for what was already there. And you can't keep or maintain God's earth while also treading it down under your feet. So to rule over or have dominion seems like the correct translation if we look at it a little bit more critically than just what could it possibly mean in a bad faith translation. Now, this probably won't get rid of the issue, to be totally honest with you, because in our modern society, it seems like rulership has become more and more synonymous with oppression. But this isn't the way with God, and I think we know this. But we see this in people's responses to other verses too, where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, husbands are in the Christian worldview, the head of the wife and the family unit, But this isn't a call to exert power and force and a domineering nature over a woman. Instead, we see it or should see it as a commission and responsibility from God who loves that woman to care for her, to love her, to provide for her, to see to it that she's happy and can thrive in life. This is the responsibility that we're called to. But with leadership becoming synonymous with oppression, because honestly, too many who have been given any power or responsibility have used it to oppress people, we can start to get these terms confused. And I think this is what's going on here with people's concerns over Genesis. They see rulership and immediately know that it's a commission to oppression. But a good God does not appoint us leaders to be bad leaders. Instead, he wants us to be leaders like him. So we should look to God and say, how does God the ruler of the earth, show us how to care for the earth and more specifically, how to care for animals. And the Bible is absolutely not silent on this. I literally just typed into Google, what does God think of animals? And the very first link led me to a hundred Bible verses about animal cruelty, which are full of verses on what God thinks of treating animals correctly and also what he thinks about treating animals cruelly and also how he treats animal life. So just to read a few of them, Proverbs 12 verse 10, it says, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. So to be righteous God is saying here, you have to have regard for the life of your beast or your animal. This is an instruction from God. Or in Proverbs 27 verse 23, it says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Deuteronomy 25 verse 4, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. So an ox that's doing work for you, treading out grain, breaking the shells open so that you can get to the actual fruit of the grain that you want, you don't muzzle the ox and allow it not to eat and enjoy of the fruit of its labor. You you feed that ox. You take care of that ox. This is a command from God. In Psalm 145, verse 9, it says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And this includes animal kind, plant kind. And we see this reiterated in Luke 12, verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Or more commonly, we know it from Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. It says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So here we see this idea that might seem juxtaposed in the mind of an animal rights activist, but is perfectly in harmony with God's word, where, yes, humans are of more value than animals, than birds of the air. 
But it doesn't mean birds of the air are of no value or that humans should have no consideration for the animals. Even God feeds them. So if we are to follow God and be good stewards of the earth, good stewards of creation, then we need to follow suit and treat them well because they're not of no value. They are creation and they're creation just like we are, just not with the same spiritual potential that we have. So yes, there's a ranking of God's creation. God created mankind to have dominion over the plants, over the animals, and over the earth, but he also called us to a responsibility of keeping and maintaining and being good stewards over that creation. And so we can't treat these things as if they have no value because God values them and he gives us a responsibility towards them. So then if God values animals so much, he loves them so much, and we're supposed to be good stewards of the creation that he's given to us, which admittedly we're not always the best at, why all of the commands for animal sacrifice in the Old Testament? Now, this one gave me pause for a little bit. It can be difficult when you read the Old Testament, especially Leviticus, and you see how many hundreds of thousands of animals were sacrificed in ancient Israel to think, why was all of that death necessary? If it was symbolic, why was it so important that so many things had to die? Why so much blood? Was it needless? Or we could ask, does God just not care about the animals that had to die for those sacrifices? And these are things that can be kind of hard to grapple with in all honesty. So to start off, I just want to say that it was necessary. Sacrifices were for various reasons, but the overall reason was oneness with God. Even offerings of thanks were necessary because, well, it's always necessary to show our thanks to God. But these were essentially meals. It wasn't just a death of an animal and then throwing away the body. It was a meal shared between people. So if, if you take no issue with eating meat to begin with, this kind of offering really shouldn't give you too much pause either. Um, if you do take issue with eating meat, then that's a whole different discussion. But dedicating a meal that would already be eaten anyways to praise and worship God, really, this, this shouldn't be a problem. So then we're left to sin offerings and burnt offerings. And first off, even these could be eaten by the Levit Levitical priesthood. So it wasn't like some huge mass killing that was just a waste of meat as a resource. But also, it was a sacrifice to bring someone into a right relationship with God. And this was necessary because people sin. And they, at least up to this point, had no atonement for their sin. Nothing but their death or the lifeblood of something that took their place could provide this atonement. So maybe someone would say, I don't believe in sin. I don't believe in reconciliation with God. I don't believe in God the same way you do. But at least at this point, they would have to say, in your worldview, I can see why it was necessary. And in the Christian worldview, it absolutely was necessary. But more importantly, I think when we think about whether or not God cared about these animals to just have so many of them killed, I think we have to remember what these offerings pointed to. They weren't just performing a role or doing a job or fulfilling a duty. It wasn't just like making change at the grocery store, just like, oh, okay, I'll offer this for that, and now we're square. These were symbolic of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So every time an animal was sacrificed, a person ideally would have seen that death and seen the blood and realized 
that it could have been and should have been their life and their blood. And I think they would have taken this seriously, not just because they lived in an agrarian society and their animals were financially important to them, but also because of the realization that that animal was taking the place of them and didn't deserve the death brought to it. It wasn't God causing the death of countless animals. It was the sin of each individual man that brought that sacrifice. And every time an animal was sacrificed, I have to imagine the father would look down and see a representation of what his own son would have to be put through one day. And the one who would become Christ would look down and see what he would willingly do for humankind. We read earlier in Luke 12 verse 6 that five sparrows were sold for two pennies and that not one of them is forgotten before God. So something that was cheap uh, to purchase was not cheap in God's eyes, was something that he remembered, something that he saw. And so I think when we look to animal sacrifices, I have to imagine that there wasn't a single animal sacrifice that escaped the consideration of the Father or of Jesus Christ as they looked down and saw what would happen to Christ one day. The blood of that animal, the life of that animal was supremely important because it was a placeholder until the time when Christ would come and die once for all in place of humankind so that we could be reconciled to him. And honestly, in place of animal kind, not that they attain the spiritual salvation from this, but they're saved from further death at the hands of man because Christ's sacrifice paid that ultimate penalty. And so we don't, we don't do animal sacrifices for to propitiate for our sins. We have the blood of Christ. So how can it be said that the sacrifice of animals was a devaluation of animal life, when in reality it was in place of the very lives of humans and symbolic of the very life of Jesus Christ, the Savior of mankind. So rather than devaluing human life, I think this actually elevates their value to think that they could actually fill that role. The countless animal deaths were not ever meant to be flippant or done with disregard but instead, the bloodshed, the seriousness of the sacrificed life of that animal was meant to mirror the gravity of the situation that it rectified or the sin that it was meant to deal with, the separation from God. And also the gravity of the sacrifice that God himself would subject himself to through the person of Jesus Christ. So no, Christians do not devalue the lives of animals. We do not elevate ourselves above them. Only God does that. He sets the hierarchy for his creation and we just live by it. But as we are placed above animals, there comes a responsibility with that to animals, to creation, to care for it as God would care for it. And rather than animal sacrifice being representative of the devaluation of animal life or the disregard of animal life by humankind or God, I, I think it shows a high esteem or a serious consideration for animal life from humans who would have recognized that that animal was taking their place in death and a high esteem and consideration from God for animal life in that they were able to be symbolic of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God himself. And he also required nothing of them that he wasn't willing to do himself. So animal sacrifice doesn't show a lack of concern for animal life, but an abundance of concern for the weight and seriousness of sin and separation from God. And when we see these two things, we should see that even though God has placed humans above animals, and even though animals did die in sacrifice, God loves animals as members of his creation, and so should we. 
that's all I've got for you guys today. I hope you found this interesting. Hope I brought some measure of benefit to your lives, even though it might be sort of a fringe topic. Like I said, if there is interest in this, please let me know, and I might do some shorter episodes answering some other questions on Christians' relationships to animals and how God views animals as well. But yeah, just let me know. Reach out with an email. And as always, be sure to rate, comment, like, share. Just interact with this podcast in any way you can on any channel that you're following. I really do appreciate any support you're willing to offer this podcast. It really does mean a lot and it goes a long way towards having others be able to hear it and benefit from it as well. So until next time, keep on reading your Bibles, keep on thinking critically about them, and keep on applying the truths that we learn here to your lives. Thanks, everyone.